You know, it's been some time ago, perhaps y'all have seen this also, but I saw a t-shirt that said, Lord, make my words sweet as honey because tomorrow I may have to eat them. And I know that's applied to uh, a lot of things, a lot of times that I've uh, spoken out of turn, misspoken, and, and spoken when I, when, I, when I shouldn't have or used wrong words or something like that, and I've had to, had to often eat my words. You know, if, if you've ever wished that you could take something back uh, that you said, you can, you can identify with the caption on that shirt. Of course, if our words were as sweet as honey, then uh, we wouldn't have to worry about eating them. Now, I don't want a show of hands, but I wonder if there's any among us who has not been caught saying something that wasn't intended uh, for someone else to hear that they said, uh, uh, or they didn't intend for others to hear it who heard it. And I've had that happen multiple times to me. Uh, among the worst incidents, I think I've, I've been caught talking about a boss about two or three times. And I guarantee you, you can do all the stuttering and stammering and backstepping back you want to, but just you can imagine how red my face was. So um, it w I was just uh, as guilty as I was. But I quickly uh, have learned to, or I've learned to quickly uh, apologize if this occurs. I've, I believe I've got it under a lot better control than I did earlier in life. Uh, because it, it it is so painful, it's so damaging. But I've learned to uh, quickly apologize and and humble myself. Uh, most of the time, stuttering and stammering. For uh, I soon realize how serious that situation and that kind of situation is. But my casual or, or secretive or gossiping and complaining words didn't help any situation in the least. And surely we've all said things that we wish we hadn't. So the uh, title of the lesson this evening and the subject of the lesson is The Untamable Tongue. You know, so tonight we're going to look at, at the passage that was read, James 3 verses 1 through 12. And it's interesting here to see who James addresses first when this talk topic comes up. You might recall that uh, at the introduction of the, the letter uh, there of James that he pointed out that he was, uh, he was basically talking to his uh, Jewish brethren. And one of the positions that many of them desired or, or thought was a lofty position that they might even uh, have desired was that of a rabbi. Or, you know, if you recall, Jesus was taught, uh, you know, from time to time, He was called a rabbi or a master, as, it, as is mentioned here in the King James. Uh, in other places, a teacher, especially in other... In other versions, but uh, the the Greek word translated "masters" here means a doctor, a master, or a teacher. And 
What, what do teachers do? How do they teach? Mainly, you know, it's not so much by example because they're not trying to teach you those things, but uh, mainly they, they teach you by talking. Professional teachers, you know, earn, they earn their living by the constant use of words. In fact, many school teachers uh, come home after the first few weeks of school, I've been told, with their voices hoarse because they weren't used to talking all day long after the break. But Jesus warns that the teachers in church will be strictly judged. And why is that? Uh, because they hold uh, a more powerful, a more shaping influence over their students, over their brothers and sisters in Christ, who they teach, over the lost, who they teach. And that shaping influence that they have in their control, hopefully in their control, is the power of words. The first thing that they have through this power, uh, there's three things that we want to notice about the power of words and the use of words, and in particular, the use or the control or lack thereof of the tongue. First thing I want to notice uh, is spoken of there in the first few verses, and he talks about the power to direct. He said, My brethren, not many masters, knowing that we shall receive the greater condemnation. So he's saying, you know, not everybody should be a teacher. Not everybody should, uh, should even uh, desire to, to fulfill that role. But he said, For in many things we offend all. If any man offend not in word... The same is a perfect man, again being not, uh, not ever doing wrong, but one who is, uh, who is complete. He's in complete control, a perfect man. And able also to bridle the whole body. And because he is able to control the tongue, he's able to, to, uh, to lead the whole body. And he said, Behold, we put bits in horses' mouths that they may obey us, and we turn about their whole body. Behold also the ships, though they, may, though they be so great and are driven with fierce winds, yet are they turned about with a very small helm, whithersoever the governor listeth. So, you know... Instructing others when, when it comes to our instruction, we have to take it deadly serious because it can, it can and it is often deadly. Instructing others, it, it burns our conscience and, and it fills us with guilt and uneasiness when we knowingly fail to do, to do ourselves what we teach others that they must do also. And when we do not what we say. And so therefore, our own teachings, they bring condemnation from God when we live lives like that, when we teach like that. And they bring condemnation from others when we fail to do what we say that we ought to do, what they ought to be doing. So, 
our life coach, if, if you will, Jesus Christ, our example, uh, said, you know, we should be like Him. He said He came to speak the words that the Father gave Him to speak. He said He came to do the things that the Father sent Him to do. And uh, so I'm going to take a, a passage later on in this chapter. I tried to stay away from it, but I don't feel like I can cover this lesson without verses 19 through 20. He said, Be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath, for the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. So, you know, we often get ourselves in trouble when we think that uh, we just have to speak our minds. Or we give others, we think we have to share with others our not-so-humble opinions. And Jesus or James here, he mentions two items which were common in the first century. The horse's bit and the ship's rudder. And both of these items, he pointed out how they're, they're small, but they're very powerful tools, very powerful instruments. And uh, the horse's bit, it's small, but when it's inserted into, uh, into the horse's mouth and attached to the leather bridle, the rider, he's got c control of that horse. And this bit enables the rider to, uh, to control his movements, to direct his movements, to tell him and make him go where he wants to go. And the rudder is a piece of wood, as I guess most of us know, or doesn't necessarily have to be wood, but at that time likely was, uh, at the back of the boat, which is used to turn the boat, even in the strongest winds. But, you know, if James were to write today about, uh, to, uh, uh, to an American audience in 2016, uh, 2018, I guess it is, I'm still thinking about my software, <laughs> but... Uh, you know, he might say uh, that the tongue is like maybe steering the wheel of a car. You know, power steering is, is miraculous. If you ever drove a car that didn't have power steering or a truck, you know, it's, it's quite a different story. It's difficult to do so. But with power steering, uh, you know, we can easily turn a big, heavy vehicle and, and control its direction. Or maybe he might talk about uh, a microchip on a computer about how powerful it is. You know, our cell phones are, are stronger than the computers that sent man to the moon. And these items are small, James points out here, but they, both of them, exert tremendous power, tremendous influence. And in the same way, the, the tongue is a small organ in the body. But the words which it creates are full of tremendous power. We have a great and horrible example of that in Hitler. You know, history records that Hitler was a very powerful orator. He, would, he could influence, he could move people to a great degree. And his words to German people mesmerized them. And they willfully turned over everything to him and to the Nazi party. 
And his powerful words spewed out hatred and a call to racial and, and religious intolerance that ended up in the Second World War. It, it led, it directed to the Second World War, the ruin of Europe, and the death of over 50 million human beings. His powerful words tore the world apart. We have to, uh, you know, we have to realize that our words can be just as destructive, though on a smaller scale. James tells us there in verse 2 that anyone who has the power to control his tongue can control every other part of his body, or, or control his body. And considering what James has just said, if you want to master your body and have complete self-control over yourself, then you have to start with the hardest part. If you can conquer that, if you can conquer the tongue, you can conquer anything. But we might treat verse 2 differently because in the New King James Version it indicates uh, that no man can control the tongue. In verse 2 he said, in, in the New King James, he said, For we all stumble in many things. If anyone does not stumble in the word, he is a perfect man. And also able also to bridle the whole body. Now this is another scripture that makes it clear that we must allow Jesus to live in us and to speak through us. And only He working in our heart, can, we'll notice that a, a little bit more here shortly, but can, can, can help us control our tongue. Usually when we say wrong things, it's because of our independence. It's because of our ego. It's because of our pride, our, our pride-filled self. Uh, it's because we're doing, we're doing all the talking. And the only way to improve on what is said is, is to switch over uh, from the self-talk to letting Jesus control our speech and our talk and what we say. And that's what Paul, you know, wrote to the Philippians. He said, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. He'll do it too if we'll let Him. If we'll shut up long enough to let Him direct our words, direct our thoughts, His words will, will always edify but our words often destroy. So we see that our tongue has a power to direct here, to direct others, to direct ourselves. The second thing we see that the power of the tongue has is one that we uh, referenced on the other side, and that is the power to destroy. And so I want to go back again and notice verses 5 uh, through 8 there. And we, we found there that not only can the tongue control everything around itself, but it also has a great destructive power. In verse, beginning there in verse 5, he said, Even so the tongue is a little member and boasteth great things. Behold how great a matter a little fire kindleth. For the tongue is a fire, 
a world of iniquity, so is the tongue among our members, that it defileth the whole body, and setteth on fire the course of nature, and is set on fire of hell. The source of it is the devil, Satan, and his ministers. We have good examples of that in, in the wildfires out in California recently, what, what they call the, the campfire fire. How that small fire uh, spread and, and destroyed uh, a massive amount of property and homes and forest. And even small sparks can, can set a great forest and even cities on fire. The Chicago fire of long ago that pretty much uh, great, uh, destroyed a, uh, a greater part of the city was caused by one, uh, supposedly caused by one uh, kerosene lantern being tipped over. So what do words and fire have in common then? The destructive forces of both of these can start small and they can spread quickly. Both can do wide-ranging damage, and both can quickly become uncontrollable. It's something we have to keep the reins on. It's something that has to be controlled for the work of the Lord to be accomplished. When a hurtful thing is said, you can't unsay it. I know I've said hurtful things before in this congregation. And I can't undo it. But when a lie is told, you can't transform it into the truth. And when a reputation is destroyed, you can't restore it. You can't mend it. Friendships have been ruined. Families have been shattered. And churches have been split apart. And ministries for the Lord have been destroyed. In fact, as we noted earlier, uh, you know, whole nations have gone to war. All of this came from the power of words. Words are destructive. Now moving on to verses 7 and 8, he said, For every kind of beast and birds and of serpents and things of the sea is tamed and hath been tamed of mankind. You know, we've seen the great beast of the jungle, the lions and, and uh, the lions and the tigers. We've seen how they can be tamed. But we've also seen how man can tame uh, creatures of the sea, the dolphins and even killer whales, how they can train them. And birds of the air, how that uh, falcons can be trained and even... Uh, you see in some ball games today, even where eagles have been trained uh, by their handlers. And, but it says, but the tongue can no man tame. It is an unruly evil, full of deadly poison. So, if you handle poison around the house for whatever purposes, pest or pesticides or uh, herbicides or, or uh, whatever kind of poisons you might handle, you know that you have to handle those things with care. 
And that's the way the tongue is also. So not only can the tongue control everything around it, it, it also has a great destructive power. We've been given, man's been given dominion over these beasts, but our tongue can be a great destructive instrument. James points out more about, uh, one more thing about the power of the words. And he, he says this, when it's used right, that words have the power to delight. So we notice verses 9 through 12. He said, Therewith bless we God, even the Father, and therewith curse we men, which are made after the similitude of God. We're made in God's image. Each one of us is. And we come in here and praise God with our tongue. And when we talk evil of man or talk wrongly about uh, our fellow man, then uh, we use that same instrument to condemn him, to uh, destroy his reputation or whatever we might choose to do with a wayward tongue. We curse men with the same instrument that we praise God with. And out of the same mouth proceedeth blessings, blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be so. And he makes a comparison here again of a couple of things, how they just can't exist. And he said, this can't exist either. He said, Doth a fountain send forth at the same place sweet water and bitter? You know, a fountain's going to produce the kind of water that comes from the well that is, that is its source. And he said, Can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olive trees, either a vine, figs? You know, it's like, not like one year, a fig tree bears figs and the next year it bears olives. So can no fountain it, uh, no fountain can yield both uh, salt water and fresh water. And in these verses James reminds us that that the tongue is inconsistent, very inconsistent if we allow it. It can praise God one minute, it can curse man. Uh, who's made in His image, the next. And in nature, we don't see this kind of inconsistency. As in, in the vines that we just read about and the trees we read about and, and the fountains that we read about. Those things don't happen in nature. They're contrary to God's, uh, God's creation, contrary to His will. And, you know, uh, trees don't give different kinds of fruit every other year or every few years. So if other things in nature are consistent, then why is the tongue such a paradox? You know, the truth is that the tongue merely reflects what is in its heart. Just as a fountain reflects the water is reflected by its source of the water the well that it comes from. Same thing, it holds true with our hearts. If the heart contains corruption, 
then it's going to spew forth corruption. And the problem with our words originates from there, from the source, from our hearts. And from there come all the hateful and the hurtful and the careless and the foolish jesting and the thoughtlessness and the destructive words that we utter. But the cure for that comes from the source. It, it, the cure for rotten words, it, it starts in the heart. <clears throat> Jesus taught a couple, in a couple of passages in Matthew. In Matthew 15 verse 18, He said, But those things which proceed out of the mouth come forth from the heart, and they defile the man. It's not what, you know, he taught, taught uh, that it isn't what goes into the man's mouth that defiles him, but it's what comes out of the mouth of the man that defiles him. And then he said in Matthew 7, verse 21, he said, or Mark 7 and verse 21, he said, For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornication, and murders. All of that stuff proceeds from the source that our tongue draws on, from the well, from the well of our heart. And so, let me get back to my place here. So, uh, you know, we, we can turn, we need to turn and we need to follow the instruction and, and the admonition of the Lord and His Word. And in uh, the first chapter of James, when we study that in verse 26, He said, If any man among you seem to be religious, and I think that all of us here would probably claim that, but He said, And bridleth not his tongue, but deceiveth his own heart, this man's religion is in vain. So it's a serious matter. It's one that we can direct, or our tongue directs. It, and uh, we, we need to remember that a single spark can, can burn down a city. It can burn down, it can destroy the work of this congregation. So uh, we should, uh, the way we can control that is, is do is, as Paul directed the Philippians to do, to, you know, to let Christ's mind be in us, to humble ourselves before Him and, and to humble ourselves before God. And there's one other scripture in closing that I want to use in that regard. James chapter 4 and verse 8, he said, Draw nigh to God, and He will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. So, a true Christian uh, would want to examine everything that they say. Because uh, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 12, verses 36 and 37, He said, But I say unto you that every idle word that man shall speak, they shall give account thereof in the day of judgment. For by thy words thou shalt be justified, 
and by thy words thou shalt be condemned. The lesson is yours this evening. I hope that you found something to in, uh, to impress upon you the urgency and, and the, the priority of this matter. How important it is. You know, I heard about a Christian man who got angry at the job and he let loose a string of profanity. And embarrassed, he turned to his co-worker and he says, well, you know, I didn't know why, I don't know why I said all that. And it really isn't in me to talk that way. And his co-worker replied, it had to be in you. Or it couldn't have come out of you. So the question for each of us to answer tonight is what is in us? What is in our heart? What proceeds forth from our tongue? No, the, the truth is that our words come from what is deep within our hearts. So, are you willing to let Jesus clean up your heart? We would hope so. We, we, we would hope that each of us would be humble enough that if we needed something to help control our tongues, if we needed help, if we needed to change things, that... Uh, that we'd be humble enough to ask for help if we couldn't do it by ourselves. And we've heard tonight how difficult it is for a man to control his tongue. And we would encourage you to take advantage of the resources that God has given us for to go to Him in prayer, to pray one for another that we might be healed. Because we know the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man, it availeth much. It directs much. It accomplishes much. There's much divine good that comes from it. So if you come and let your wishes be known as we stand and sing the song that's been selected. <laughs>